0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Motomania with Damian Reid. Yes, it's Motor Mania with myself, Damien Red, and I'm joined now by In the Shandjata and Noel Ebden talking rubbish about cars that we should and should not have bought. How unusual! Uh, good morning, fellas. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, we should do that on air, shouldn't we?
2: The what th- a road. great
3: promo!
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the things we shouldn't have just bought. the normal stuff. But I tell you what, let's 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 roll this through from our last caller after fix it or flip it Chinese cars. I've just got a text in as well um, from uh, from from a texter here saying, uh, "Is the infrastructure here in Dubai to service up and ready to service?" Chinese cars all those years of experience servicing other brands isn't currently available right It's uh, a question um, good question but it yes they're, they're still making their way through mm.
2: so I have insider knowledge on this go for it being a garage owner myself uh, getting parts for some of the Chinese brands is quite tricky mm. so the cars themselves um, we'll talk about that in a bit probably and uh, about where they've come from and where they are now, but getting parts of them can be tricky. But it is changing. The parts suppliers are now getting, are realizing how many of these are now on the road, so it now makes sense. So if you want a part for a Corolla, you can get it in ten minutes. Yeah. Sometimes with the Chinese cars, you've got to wait and wait weeks and weeks and weeks to get parts. That is changing, so okay. it's becoming less of a problem.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I hope that uh, answers the call because I didn't have a clue about that one. So I'm glad go. we've got an expert in the studio. Uh, let's get straight into what we've been driving this week. And uh, we we're, were teasing it before, saying that, Noel, you've finally joined the the Bronco party. Yeah, prob- Shannon and I have had a go. <laughs> They'll
2: probably change it now. They'll bring out another one. That's and you've got right? it just in time
1: yeah. before the facelift. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've got it downstairs. Uh, I picked it up yesterday. Um, uh, it's great. I love it. It's very, and I know Ford are going to cringe, but it's very Wrangler. Yeah, it's like yeah. a it's like a bigger, uh, more comfortable Wrangler, I would say. Um, it's definitely aiming right at that market. Uh, starts in the 190s, but we don't get that spec here, as is always the way. So you're in the 200s. That's yeah. a tricky area. Uh, Interchan and I were talking about this off-air that, uh, you know, you're starting to get into the kind of luxury, some of the smaller luxury suvs there um, so and it's a very utilitarian yeah, kind of vehicle it yeah. is look i haven't driven it off road yet um, I, as i say i only picked it up yesterday uh but imshan you, you've driven it off road and
3: apparently it's very good very very easy very very fun to drive um there are a couple of suspension bits that could use some upgrades etc but for 98 percent of what most people do the sasquatch package bronco which i think is what you've got yeah, it is, yeah. is all you need honestly
2: right so If you're, it's it's, it's all, I mean, look, I keep referring back to Wrangler, but it's exactly the same thing. Mm. If you want a Wrangler, it's because you want a fun car to drive on the road, but also you want to go and bash about in the desert and not damage the car. Bronco is going to do exactly that, Mm. right? If you want a luxury SUV, then there's other stuff out there that's more luxurious to drive on the road, but... It is cool. It looks really cool. I've had so many people, um, even, you think how many there's on that are on the road now. It's a good looking car. I've had so many people looking out their windows at it as I'm driving it around. So, yeah, I love it. I think it's really good. I think it'd be, it's a fun, it's
1: a fun toy. Yeah. Imp the Shan, speaking of Ford, you have had a couple of cars, yeah? The Nissan Pathfinder and uh, the Ford Territory, not the Aussie Ford Territory, as we discussed the other night. Not
3: sadly, Um, the four litre Barra 6 Ford Territory, which 250 horsepower. No, it's not that one. I do Um, like that one, but. By the way, speaking of Fords, a uh, couple of weeks coming up, I think I'll have the Ford Ranger Raptor, which is the real biggest competition to the Bronco, mm. because it is cheaper than the top-spec Bronco you're driving. But better. Stay tuned for that review. Yeah. Um, probably the best machine in the showroom. That's well, how good it is.
1: Tell us about the territory in the Pathfinder.
3: So, territory. Um, basically, it is now a Chinese SUV. The Equator Sport of the territory in our market. It's 111,000 dirhams. It's priced very well. It's very well equipped. It's got sort of the around-view cameras, cruise, all the radar, cruise control, everything. Little turbo motor, I believe. It's a 1.5 or one i I'm not sure. 180 horsepower, not the fastest thing, but plenty adequate Proper modern six speed gearbox, so not a city CVT. So, quite nice to drive. Actually, really nice to drive. The handling was excellent. It was very comfortable. It was very nice on the inside. Like a kind of Scandinavian Swedish design thing going on. Very minimalistic, lots of touch screens, touch buttons, but crucially, not too annoying like some of the latest VW products. And generally, for a car that's a family SUV, it was quite nimble and easy to park. I think these things matter to people who go into malls and use them for family. It felt tough but simple. Um, so a lot of positives, and I thought it was one of the best little cars out there. I had no idea what to expect from this Chinese car, but it was it's a proper Ford. It doesn't feel like a product that's badged as a Ford It feels like a proper car. Uh, the negatives are few but interesting. It doesn't have four-wheel drive, so it's front-wheel drive. And because it's got so much power, it talks to us. So mm. when you hit the gas hard, it'll actually sort of squirm around, the sta- which is kind of fun, but may not be ideal, you know, if you're in the Ikea car park. Um, CarPlay, I had a few small problems. It occasionally would disconnect, etc. I had wireless car. Play. It had everything you could imagine, spec-wise. Honestly, these are small quibbles. I think it's a great product and a great buy. I think they send them as fast as they can make them. Okay. I've seen a lot of them on the yeah. road. Seen a yeah. lot of them
1: driving around, yeah. So tell me now about the, the, the Pathfinder. That, now this is the new one. It's just, just really not It's not, not really
3: ago. the new Pathfinder because yeah. N- it's Infiniti QX50 with a Nissan Pathfinder yeah. body on top. The Pathfinders had a massive identity crisis. If you go back 20 years ago, it was a proper off-roader. Yeah, absolutely. Then, yeah. then it became a truck-based American SUV. Then it became a Japanese crossover, eight people. And now it's back as something in between all of the... However... In the space, it's for almost 200,000 dirhams. It is quite a nice car to drive around if you're not really that bothered about driving. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a negative criticism at all. It's actually a good family car. The Pathfinder bit doesn't matter. It's comfortable. Again, easy to operate because it's a Nissan. All the buttons and knobs are where you think they are. It's spacious. It's comfortable. It's boxy. So, you've got tons of room for your stuff and your kids' bikes and things. Minor, minor negatives. Um... It's got a nine speed automatic. Uh, It always has to get into the far highest gear possible. So it's not the fastest thing. Uh, Stereo was just okay. And despite being called Pathfinder, I wouldn't describe it as an off-roader because you can't turn the traction control off. So if you Mm -hmm. go into the sand, it kind of bogs down. It has a sand mode, but it doesn't feel like it wants to be off-road. So it's not really the Pathfinder of your, but for most people, it's a nice looking, good daily car.
1: Okay, yeah. I like the fact the boxy shape of the path runs always because as you say storage space is at a premium, uh, where you get, you know, cars are more styled, and this, suddenly when you open the tailgate, you can't fit half the stuff in because the, yeah, the swoopy the roof curves rear curves doesn't over.
3: work. If, Cayenne Coupe is a perfect example. You have the Cayenne and the Cayenne yeah. Coupe, and the difference between them is a rake in the rear, uh, rear uh, arch of the, stair, of the roof. Doesn't make any sense at all.
2: Yeah. Just going back to the Bronco, the uh, rear hatch is so big that you wouldn't want anyone to park behind you because <laughs> you wouldn't be able to open it and open the glass. that swingy deal, But on a plus, I love the controls big, yeah. ton, chunky dials, everything.
4: This is Motor Mania on Dubai I 103.8,
1: the UAE's number one talk radio station. Yes, Motor Mania with myself, Damien Reid, and, of course, I'm joined by Shangiato and Noel Ebden. We've just been talking before the break about cars we've been driving, and I've had managed to spend a couple of very enjoyable days behind the wheel of the Lamborghini Urus, the updated version, which is the uh, Performante, because they've split the model range now into the S and the Performante. So, uh, yeah, it's I found it... I actually did like it. I found it less of an exotic SUV and more like a practical supercar, because... That's the feeling I got when I drove it. From, from from behind the wheel, it has all the Lamborghini touch points, such as the, the hand stitch Alcantara inlays, the same displays that you find in the dash with the Aventador and the Huracan, and of course the performance, right? Um, but it came in the practical shape, which meant that I didn't have to raise suspension to go over speed humps. I didn't have to worry about scraping underneath. I didn't have to worry about wheels that are exposed towards the gutter. Um, I had space to carry out some shopping and a few people around me, so it was it was a, as practical a supercar as I think you could find. And those points, loved it. Really, really, it was just a breath of fresh air. Going, I'm driving a Lamborghini, but I don't have to worry about you know bring it down to zero kilometers an hour, hit the button to raise the suspension, crawl, crawl, and then drive off again, and and you're just holding traffic yeah. up. Um, it was it felt like a normal car. Uh, so those are the good bits, but it felt like having a supercar without any of the bad bits. That's the way I felt with, with this car. Um, as for its looks, yeah, it polarises people, shall we say. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's the prettiest car in town, but uh, but and, and a few bystanders also made that point very clear when I was at the lights uh, <laughs> with this carbon fibre bits hanging off the hood and, and the side bits. Uh, but the way I look at it, after driving it for a couple of days, it's a bit like buying the worst house in the best street. I'm not saying that this is the worst house in in car terms by any means, but what I mean is that that if you live in it and you look out, you're not seeing what you're in, right? So, uh, you're still enjoying the upmarket surrounds that are in front of you, and you're not really looking (laughs) looking at what other people are looking at. So, in terms of car terms, yeah, um, from behind the wheel, you can't see that's controversial. You get to enjoy all the best features. So in that case it could also fall into the do i care what other thinks other people think about its looks and the answer is definitely no i do not
4: and i think the buy <laughs> and i think the
2: people that buy that car don't care either no no and no. And, and it's interesting you and i have had I mean, as you well, all three of us have had these cars over the years when you give them back you do have that slight sigh of relief that you've given it back without I, entirely, <laughs> yeah without damaging the alloys and the I side, say and, this yeah, all and, the time yeah, and this is different because yeah. you can just go over speed bumps, you can worry less. Is is there a curb down there? Or when I just parked, I can't remember whether there's... A, you know, and all these things that...
1: Oh, I was you know. only just saying that the other day to producer Zeno about the fact is the best feeling with a press car is you give it back and everything's fine, yeah. And it's just the best feeling in the world. Mm. Um, the power is up by this one because of the performente, so you get an extra sixteen brake horsepower. Could so- you
3: tell? Sixteen, <laughs> oh, yeah, easy.
1: Uh-
3: <laughs> with your carefully, geni- of course, calibrated journalist, six hundred
1: and fifty-seven horsepower. Now um, it was worlds different, but uh, but also too, it's got the carbon fiber body panels. They've removed a lot of the sound deadening materials, so it, 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 you hear a lot more of it coming up. But it still weighs two point four ton, so it's a heavy vehicle. Um, what they've yeah. done too is that they've they've removed the air suspension and it's now using uh, stiffer steel springs. It's sitting a little bit lower, so uh, it's 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 the suspension slightly lower compared to the US S, the standard model. Um, and in full on Corsa mode, four litre twin turbo V eight gets you to hundred kilometres an hour in two point eight seconds for a two point four ton car is remarkable. Three hundred fourteen kilometres an hour if you can find a bit of road and a bit and enough bravery that will let you get away with that. But um, but bottom line though is that. Yeah, I'm just thankful I don't have to look at it when I'm behind the wheel, but I did love it for what it was. I certainly rank it as as the best performance SUV on the market that I've driven. Um but Yeah, comfortably, I think. Uh, but it's expensive, 1.2 million dirhams or thereabouts, uh depending on the spec levels. There's so many spec levels you can get. That's as close as I could gauge on the, that's on the price. That's not expensive.
3: Wait till the Ferrari Pura Sangue turns up. Oh, I'm not yeah. going to worry about that.
1: That's that's, that's for pretenders. Uh,
3: the question is: the question
1: is, are you the are you the wrong market for this car? In terms of practicality, no. But in it's, terms of the looks, maybe. Yes, it's probably for someone fifteen years younger. Than yes, me. absolutely. I think I think we're getting old. Yeah, my neighbour had one back in Australia, and it uh, yeah, it was. He um, used to wake the kids up to you when you start that car up in the morning. Yeah. Um, but anyway, on to other things now. Um, let's get on to things. Let's let's not be sensationalists. But here is a story that is worth discussing. Is bad driving in your genes? A new study has that we've picked up suggests that it just might be. This came from a UK-based scrap car comparison um, that might tell the answer just by that title. But if it, it, <laughs> it found that bad driving habits may be passed down from parents to their children. 66% of drivers who broke road laws had uh, parents who also did the same. One in four drivers feel that they've learned negative habits from their parents. These include speeding, road rage, and bad parking. Uh, but guess what? Fifty-five percent, not surprisingly, say that they're better drivers than their mum or dad. Um, <laughs> I personally can vouch for this. I mean, my parents didn't have road rage or bad parking. There's a bit of speeding involved, but I did learn from my parents, and that's how we got our license. Um, but did you and did you guys think you've inherited any bad driving skills from you from your parents? I'm the complete opposite of my father. Really? Yeah. My, yeah. Mo-
2: my mother didn't drive, so uh, it was only I only had that influence from my father. A complete opposite. So, doesn't wow. make it, that, this makes no sense to me? So, yeah, but I, I can understand it. If the you, yeah.
3: My dad taught me to drive, and this is probably why I'm a better driver than him now. Simple as that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's the same. I, I learned in the car park with my parents, and they told me, you know, here's the keys, um, and I'm, I'm sure I picked up one or two bad habits that, that, that they had. But uh, so I do kind of tend to agree with that with that survey.
3: Um, I'm always a little bit queasy about these kinds of surveys because whenever it says genetic, it comes down to the... Remember, every once in a while, we'll get a report on the newspapers out here about which nationality is the best driver or the worst yeah, driver. forget those because mm. you just can't... A complete sensationalist rubbish. And this is the same way as well. I mean, yes, your parents might give you a head start, but that lasts about 10 seconds before the real world starts teaching you how yeah. you want to be. And if you're a bad driver, I don't think your parents... You might pick it up from them, but yeah. I think you that's just who you are. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yeah, so interesting stuff there. Um, Also, too, uh, in the you and I went to an event this week, and this is great news for classic car people because the the car auction specialist RM Sotheby's opened their Middle East and North Africa operations this week down at DIFC Huge step in the right direction for classic car growth in this region.
3: They had a huge, huge lineup of potential stuff coming down the road. But first and foremost, they had a 7 million pound Ferrari 250 GT short wheelbase. Yeah, 19, 1961,
1: 250 GT short wheels Berlinetta by Scalietti. And uh, it was f- I didn't realise. They flew it in just for the event. Exactly. And it was on a plane the next day, heading back, because that car is coming up at the RM Sotheby's auction uh, uh, Villa at uh, Villa Erba. Yeah, for the Concor- Concorsa Deleganza. Dele it's at, not easy
3: to say these things, is
1: it? They're like fancy. a coma on uh, 20th of May. So, <laughs> it's yes, not tripping off the tongue, is it? <laughs> if you're around that area, pop in, put a bid in. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah.
3: Everybody <laughs> listening to the show is clearly a competitor or a buyer for that car. Uh, it was a beautiful car. It was a beautiful event. It was a lot of the Dubai's most glittering people turned up for that one. And it was really interesting the kind of, the kind of thing that Army Sotheby's is into. It's not just cars. Yep. It's watches. It's art. It's yes. anything that's collectible. And I think this market, Sotheby's coming here is a clear sign that this market is maturing and finally understands the value of these kind of products. And as somebody myself who works in the classic car space, it's been a long time coming because we've had enough money to buy new cars for a long time. That's a given.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we, we've... We've previously had uh, chairman for the region in the UK, Peter Warman, and, and senior consultant uh, Rita Meji in the studio talking about uh, uh, this um, back in the Motor, Motor Motor Studio last November. So if you tuned in back then, then you would have got the world scoop on all this news that's been breaking this week. But they're on hand for, for the opening of it this week. Uh, Peter said that, look, his recent visits to the region here have clearly demonstrated the burgeoning classic car culture, the infrastructure, the event scene. That includes things like, and we discussed it the other night, it's almost like it's classic car season when the weather's cool. It's fantastic as because we've got it, the, yeah. the Gulf Historic Grand Prix. Of course, we've got the Mille Milia experience. And these are things that Peter Warman actually pointed out. He said he believes they these provide the foundation for the global collector car market. In this region, to give you an idea, for those who aren't aware, those one or two of you who aren't aware about where RM Sotheby stands in terms of the collector car auction market, and why this was such a significant uh, announcement, um, these were the guys that sold that beautiful this time last year. In fact, it was this week last year. 1955 Mercedes Benz 300 SLR Ullenhart Coupe for a record-breaking 135 million euro. Um, it was a car that Mercedes once said would never be sold. And as re- also, too, we spoke last year exclusively, Niall and I, we spoke to uh, Simon Kidston mm. at the Millamillia event, who brokered that sale. And is the only person, I believe, outside of the museum to have actually driven that car in over 70 years.
3: Keep in mind, they've got two of them. So they sold, they've, kept, they've kept one.
1: Yes, but this was the one <laughs> that makes the, it easier, doesn't it? When yeah. got it the, the, we have Mr. Uhlenhart was, was, <laughs> was driving. He was allowed to, because he, he was the engineer who set it up, and they built two cars for racing. They never raced them. They said, "Right, that's it. They're going in the bin." And Ulenhart said, "Well, can I keep one?" They said, "You can have that as your company car." Uh, and he drove that every day as his company 5,000 car. Five thousand kilometers of bad
3: on the car. he really drove it.
1: Yeah, um, and that was the basis of the of the three hundred SL Goldwing, effectively. So, what's so, the
3: problem with classic cars in the UAE? Well, it's very simple. If you buy one, you don't know where to take it. You don't know how to look after it. Right. Even if you bought yep. your Ulenhart and you brought it back here, you don't actually have that many specialists. So, this is the things that are going to come to the region eventually. We're going to have specialists people looking after the cars. We're going to have events where people can take the cars and ultimately this place is actually a very good stopping off point for classic cars if you think about it because right now well actually right now but in the winter Europe's pretty cold but the Middle East is perfect so everybody's going to take their cars yeah. out here for driving.
1: Yeah, yeah. For, for sure and you know we've summer's kicking in so we're going to have the, the classic car auction scene and the uh, scene over in, in Europe as I say, we have Villa D'Esta coming on we've got the motorsport festival the motor festival in, in, in Italy kicking off very soon in, in the Emilia-Romagna region but when it gets cold there it all comes here. Hence Shop why, in the summer, drive mm, here in the winter. Absolutely. Hence why the, good to me. the Golf Historic Grand Prix works so well. It's why the Milamilia is working so well. And I, I mean, and you, you know more than I would, but I can see a situation where you get people who just go, I've got these beautiful cars, like that 250 GT. Put it on a boat or a plane or whatever, bring it over to here and leave it here for five months and six months. Have a blast with it. Go out and do all these events. And then in May, take it back to Europe and Absolutely. continue.
3: Well, we've had cars from the millennia. I mean, it's not really a scoop per se, but it is semi-news that we're still here from last year's event. Yeah. Because the owners keep coming back and driving the cars and enjoying it. And you still can. It's amazing, it, isn't it, it?
1: it? It's incredible. When we first moved here, well, I mean you, know, mm. I mean you, you were born here. But when, when we first moved here in the early 2000s. Not one classic car. I didn't no. see a single classic no. car for years until was, the registration it, process came yeah, exactly. in. There was a few tucked away that weren't driven in
3: I mean, the definition of it. classic yeah. also back in 2001, what was it? There wasn't much, was it? Maybe a 911, maybe? You didn't mm. see much vintage Ferrari. Certainly not much in vintage Italian stuff. I think
1: there was a turning point. There was actually a discussion back in about 2006 to get rid of old cars. Mm. And that very quickly changed to saying, right. hang on, let's preserve rather than get rid because... You don't want to get rid of old cars because you, then you've got low-income earners who can't afford a car, um, and that sort of spurred on the classic car scene. But uh, congratulations to the guys from RM Sotheby's for, for for getting that underway, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've got up their sleeves uh, as, during the course of the season. But um, we're going to go to the other end of the spectrum after this break. We're going to be talking about EVs with Kevin Shalhoub, uh of the EV Lab on Microsoft Teams. This is Motor Mania. I'm Damien Reid, and I'm in the studio with Niall Ebden and... In the and we'll be back for more straight after this.
0: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
1: This is Motor Mania with Damien Reid. Yes, welcome back to Motomania. with me, Damien Reid, and I'm joined, of course, by in the Jada and Noel Edden in the studio. Now it's time to talk about electric vehicles. Last year, 10 million EVs were sold globally, as we discussed in the first hour as well during uh, Fix It or Flip It. Many of them are in China. This year, they're looking around. About 13.5 million EVs will be sold, according to the uh, International Energy Agency. And uh, here in Dubai, just by looking at the roads and based on our feedback from chatting in the first hour, we've definitely seen a surge in the number of people who are making the switch from traditional gas guzzlers to EV or even just talking about... um, about the getting the discussion happening with EVs. So uh, in the next half hour, we're going to be doing an EV roundup and talking about things like range anxiety. Um, apparently, it's uh, a bit too soon to be going on to see the end of that one at the moment. Uh, a new peer-to-peer platform where you can rent electric vehicles, uh, new EV models that can suit many more budgets um and uh that's with um kevin Shaloub, who is the founder and ceo of the ev lab and he's uh joining us uh from uh beirut uh, good morning uh, kevin welcome good morning good morning demon good, good morning everyone great to have you with us on uh, microsoft teams this morning uh here uh so electric cars in general can can we finally you know we discussed this on, on motormania last time about how the range is extending massively can we finally say goodbye to range anxiety, given that cars are doing five hundred plus at some point uh, even more now from what we saw from the Shanghai motor
5: Show? We're uniquely positioned in the uAE market I would say um because because our distances aren't that um are long you know if if you buy a car in europe or or in the u s you do expect to go longer ranges um uh, with m- most products being able to do at least 300 400 kilometers plus um, uh, and and the market you know D- Dubai to Abu Dhabi is only 150 kilometers so so you don't have to worry too much going back and forth um, on a typical work week if you're you're living uh, you know 30 40 kilometers from your office you, you can you can charge your your car only once or twice so I I really argue um, um, in the UAE we were really lucky that we we have to worry even less about range and most models available um, already solve that problem for us.
1: Yeah I mean you, you've been running the EV Lab for a while now you're one of the, the pioneers of, a, of electric vehicle uh, getting the discussion happening in the region how have you seen the market shift from when you first started to where we are today?
5: Yeah I mean it's really exciting because um, it actually grew and, and almost doubled year on year um, um, much uh, faster than than the initial uh, projections for for the UAE market. Today, I would say almost 10% uh, of new cars sold are, are electric, um, which is really um, exciting. And um, um, you know, even in years like COVID, this was one of the few industries that kept growing. So um, there is there is a lot of momentum. Uh, now we're we're not close to a market like Norway, where where 80 percent of the new cars sold are electric, mm. um, and that's really the the question on top of, of the automotive industry's mind is how do we get there here in the UAE? I guess that's one of the things, and
1: I, I was in Oslo oh, quite a few years ago, and I could not believe, the amount of electric vehicles there. And once you start discussing the people there as to why, the incentives that were given. You would have to. You would have to go electric. I mean, you you know, dedicated parking stations that you plug your car in, uh, transit lanes that are reserved for EVs, um, reduction in road taxes and all this sort of thing. Uh, are these the kind of things that we need to be discussing about? Or do you think people would now are at the point where gradually migrate to electric vehicles?
5: I mean, I had a discussion with one of the policymakers in, in Norway, uh, for EVs and they said the most effective policy was actually subsidies on, on electric cars. So um, um, actually making charging stations uh, free for a while did not work well in their favor in Norway uh, because because that's uh, a bad habit to, to get used to. It is cheaper, much cheaper <clears throat> than you re- refueling your, your uh, car. Uh, in the UAE it costs about one-fifth uh, 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 of the cost, um, but really um, subsidizing a little bit the initial cost, um, and then and then keeping in mind that the total cost of ownership of electric cars are much lower, um, because you have to deal with much less after sales, and in a typical, uh, um, a gas car, yeah, a combustion engine, you have about ten times more spare parts. So, um, you have to 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 give your car back to the dealer for oil change and other things. Well, in in an um, electric car, it's it's really uh, only the bar- battery, but you have a eight year warranty on that, um, and then and then the the, the other parts are really uh, consumables, um, AC filters, uh, very very little uh, after sales needed. So your total cost of ownership definitely is lower, um, and and a bit of subsidies could could also be useful.
1: Yeah, you're right. I mean, in the first hour, we had Naz Chowdhury, who does a uh, fix it or flip it with with us. He he owns a Tesla, and he was saying exactly that. He said he put it in for a service, and basically the bill came up to uh, not a whole lot because it was it was wiper blades and a set of brake pads and a couple of filters, and that that was literally it for for him in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we've been that, that's now coming into the the discussion about EVs is leasing versus buying. Um, now, leasing has not been a big thing here because of various financial issues leading up to it, but that's all changing now. Tell us about mm-hmm. the the pros and cons of, of leasing and buying it, and how does it work for, for an electric vehicle?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there are many advantages today to, to lease an, an electric car versus uh, buy one um, um, upfront. Um, the main factor in that decision is really battery range, and the fact that battery range is constantly evolving and um, growing year on year um, is is actually a huge argument to, to lease cars because uh, you know a couple of years ago we weren't close to talking about 500 kilometer ranges and in a couple of years time you know i mean uh, mercedes and neo have already announced a thousand kilometers range in in, in some of their few next models um, and and other uh, exciting brands might come up with with even longer ranges. There's something we call Moore's Law in battery technology, which which um, basically dictates that uh, battery technology is set to constantly evolve and and grow. So so given the fact that range is constantly evolving, if you buy a car now, what might happen is that <clears throat> the the battery might be outdated uh, in a couple of years time versus. Uh, and and you, you might have 1,000, even a 2,000 kilometer ranges available in the market in, in three to four years' time. Um, so, so leasing, there's a huge argument for leasing, especially for electric cars, um, uh, so that you can really stay uh, uh, on top of, of having the new products. Um, and that's something we offer at EV Lab as well. Fantastic. Kevin, I'm going to
1: put you on the spot here because I've just got a text message in uh, from uh, who's uh, listening into the show um, saying good morning. In general, how long do EVs stay fully charged when parked or on standby? I live in an apartment, so I don't have an outlet to charge the car, but my office parking has an electric charging station, which means I can charge it every working day, but on weekends, I could leave it parked at home and use my other car. Would the battery last the weekend if left on standby?
5: Um. Absolutely. I mean, you don't um, really lose uh, uh, any um, uh, range if you're not using your car, um, unless maybe you keep it for months unused. <clears throat> um, and and I would say having a a charger at your office is more than sufficient for most people, depending on how far you live from work. Um, it's it's really. Uh, uh, you know, I, I only charge my car twice a week and I, I, I live 30 kilometers away from my work. Um, that, that's not, I don't need to do more than that. Um, during your office hours, you'll, you'll have more than enough time to recharge your car and you don't even need to recharge it every day, so um, I wouldn't worry too much about that. It's true that in apartment buildings, we're, we're trying to push for more electric car chargers as well um because it's not hard to get in residences and villas but in in apartment buildings uh it's now mandatory i believe for new developments but um for for all developments where we're still talking with diwa i think uh and now if there's sufficient requests in the apartment buildings there there must be something done about it from from the owner it's really a, a case of if they have enough capacity um, so I would advise send a letter to your apartment building uh, stating you'd want an EV charger, um, and you don't have to even wait to get uh, an electric car if uh, and worry too much about range.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the issues. I mean, I live in an apartment building. I had a I had a a plug-in hybrid test car this week, um, so therefore, you know, it obviously it doesn't charge off the off the the. the combustion engine you have to plug it in but uh we only have a very very limited sp- in fact you know for for a large apartment complex building we have f- three spots uh so I guess that's one of the issues that we need to address from a from a building code perspective in in the region as well mhm
5: absolutely i mean i mean there are more and more policies i believe if there is enough demand in the apartment building it's it's now mandatory for the apartment building to do something about it um sometimes they won't have the excess capacity readily available to install a charger, so so they might have to, to to figure something out with Diwa, but um, but I would say uh, your responsibility only lies in in, in requesting for more chargers uh, uh, and, uh, and 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 um, you know. If, if you do have issues, contact us. We'll, we'll also ha- uh, help to push as, as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, look, stick
1: around. We've got a lot more EV chat coming up with this on Motomania. Yes, welcome back to Motor Mania with me, Damien Reid, and we're joined, of course, in this studio by Interchangeato and Noel Emden, and, of course, by Kevin Shalhoub of the EV Lab. And, uh, Kevin, we were just talking before the break about, uh, yeah, EV Lab's uh, impact that it's had since it's been launched here. Now, one thing I want to talk to you about is um, peer-to-peer platforms that you're soon going to roll out. Uh well, we've just—I think we've just lost uh, Kevin, actually. So we'll we'll pick up on that. Uh, anyway, guys, let's we'll, we'll carry that on our, ourselves. In terms of, I mean, electric vehicles, range anxiety—is that something that we that, that you guys have noticed when you when you're driving these EVs now?
3: I think, I think it's going away. I think yeah. it's slowly going away. It's going yeah. to be a thing of the past. Something that it's a bit like cell phones. Remember how heavy they used to be and how they couldn't do much, and now they're absolutely indispensable. You forget this teething period of technology when things weren't quite right. Mm. so it lasts forever in your mind but in reality it's actually a few short years desirability is something i have a severe question about but the rest of it i don't think these are long-term problems
2: well f- funnily enough i saw the uh audi Etron gt i saw a black yeah. one on the road two days ago with black rims and it was stunning oh it's and a good looking car is that, that is what that's what I, that, that what always annoyed me in the past it's like when when the prius came out it was ugly yeah. So, yeah. you know, don't bring out ugly cars and try and make people change technology. Much better looking technology. than
3: even a Taycan, of which it yes. basically is. Yeah. But have you seen the Prius is a very good point? Because have you seen the new Prius Prime? It is a staggeringly good looking car. Well, yeah. so, new- but it should be. Why, why make them ugly? But that's the you thing.
1: Because, well, one of the reasons, because when EVs first came out, is that skateboard chassis, which mm. means the body sits on top. So therefore the car sits a little higher. And Jaguar found this out when they brought out their first EV. That doesn't suit every car. And so when the car sits higher, therefore it makes sense to put larger wheels on it, therefore it falls into like an SUV style of mm. style of category, so therefore we make all, all EVs an SUV. And uh, Porsche, the Volkswagen group, Porsche sort of – I think they were the first to sort of come out with the idea of moving the battery cells around so that you don't lose your your, your leg room. So, therefore, you can have a lower roofline, particularly in the back of the Taycan. So, you know, they've got these footwells, effectively, Mm. in the back of the car because they can move the little battery packs around, lower roofline. And you get a car that has almost like a 911-style profile. And then Audi have picked up on that with the RS uh, e-tron as Mm. well. And suddenly we've got good-looking cars again.
3: Yep. Yep. If you look at these kinds of cars, right, there's a good example of the Taycan, the atron because just a few short years, we've moved on so far from what Jaguar did, but Jaguar is still selling the uh, ipace, mm. And mm. it was a great car when it came out, but it's completely out of date now, and yeah. they need to update it. That's how fast this technology is moving.
1: Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, that that's the way. The, you know, Jaguar obviously going that way. They're bringing out the XJ the or the Jaguar badge mm. is going to be rebranded as an EV car company. And unfortunately, I think... Uh, uh, yeah, Kevin has uh, won't be able to join us again. So thank you, Kevin. Uh, I'm not sure what happened with the uh, with the connection there, but uh, thanks. for We must get in touch with uh, Kevin Chalou from the EV Lab again sometime to continue uh, our chat about EVs. But we'll carry on with that here. No problem. That's what we can do. Um, we can talk about anything really, we, we <laughs> and we have. <laughs> and we have. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jagu is going down that yep. path with as a completely relaunched I, yeah, I electric vehicle a brand. A big I, comfy jag. That's
2: can gonna, I ask gonna, about the EV
3: brands good. that aren't here that I'm sure people are talking about as well? Rivian, uh,
1: Lucid. Yes.
2: Why
3: aren't these companies here? They're really nimble. Some of the Chinese stuff as well. Neo, all these I, brands?
1: I spoke to the guys from Rivian years ago at the Los Angeles Motor Show, and I was really impressed with their philosophy. One of the guys from the founders of Rivian is ex McLaren. Uh, there's some very intelligent guys there, and that vehicle... Back then, they were looking to develop the car as like a proprietary SUV pickup, and they wanted to sell the licensing rights, in effect, to Ford to make their F series. That was that's the the basis of Rivian. Ford said, we "We're doing our own anyway," but still. I mean, you look at uh,
3: certain car buying sites in the States and and the Rivians are turning over for big money. Mm. Um, Rivians are a good example because Rivian is a purpose-built platform, right? It's completely from the ground up designed to be an EV. Ford and Ram and Chevy, all of them are doing their own EVs, but they're essentially adapting the existing pickup trucks and just putting batteries in them. So they still have sort of the old platforms and there are a lot of inefficiency in there. They're good and they're selling great, but the Rivian, I think, shows the way.
1: I will Mm. be keen to see... When Ford brings out the F-150 Lightning, and I hope they bring it here, it's the full EV F-150 pickup.
3: No, but that's the one that's still based on the existing platform. There's a, yeah. The next generation will be the completely yeah. new one, mm. not it's, far away.
1: Uh, they're claiming about 480 kilometers range out of that car, out of that vehicle. It's a pickup truck. It's got um, a massive
3: amount um, of space of batteries.
1: Well, it tows three and a half ton, which is um, uh, <laughs> amazing. Ah, so it. that's interesting four as well. Uh, sorry, four and a half seconds or 100 kilometers an hour mm. for an F-series pickup that tows three and a half ton.
3: Even though we haven't got it here, we haven't tested I should preface all these comments. People in the U.S. who have been towing with the new Lightning, because it's been on sale for a year, have noticed that the range drop, drops off dramatically.
1: Yeah. Because
3: yeah. EVs, as it turns out, are not great at towing. Mm.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah.
3: And Americans well, buy F-150s to tow stuff. Two-tow. Yeah. 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 Diesels are them. the best possible towing platforms. You can imagine. Petrol engines, we tow with them out here all the time. Mm. But diesels are the best because they've got permanent torque, you know, just low fuel, a pretty good fuel economy. And Unfortunately, higher cost Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. We Diesel's can't, not we, we can't mention the diesel word anymore but but it's a shame because it is still uh, I mean they just reached was at Euro 6 levels mm. and is an incredibly efficient engine and clean but then things happened with Volkswagen and it became uh, uh, metaphorically it a dirty really word a dirty word
3: as the technology yeah. It was absolutely ready for prime time. And if you got into a modern diesel car, it's indistinguishable from a petrol car. Yeah. But we never got those cars out here. And there are questions, by the way, in the Middle East about sulphur content in diesels. So I'm not sure a lot of the modern fancy Euro 6, mm. Euro 7 cars could actually run on the diesel that get sold out here.
2: Yeah. So yeah. We, we've, got a, we've got a 10-year-old Mercedes diesel in the UK and it, you wouldn't know it was a diesel. And it's, it's no fast, it, yeah. it's not noisy. It's, su- it's brilliant. It's a great
1: car. Yeah. Fix it or flip it. Tell us about your car, we'll tell you how much it's worth. How does it work? Very simple. Those who tune in every Saturday know the drill, what we need, the details about your car, the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage, any history, as much information as you can and it gives us a much better chance of giving you an accurate valuation. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN play app or even better, pick up the phone, give us a call, we'd love to have a chat with you, 5500. Um but it's not just me, I'm doing it with uh, Naz Chowdhury, automotive entrepreneur who is uh, going to price your cars on the spot, um, and uh, good morning, Naz. Morning, how are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. It's been a late night with uh, hosting Formula One in Miami right now, but we're going to we're going <laughs> to carry on through this one. Uh, <laughs> now, before we get into doing any pricing, we're going to uh, hear from Dubai Eyes' very own Georgia Tolly, host of the agenda. She called into the show a few weeks ago to uh, to get our thoughts on whether she should buy a Tesla. Well, guess what. She's done it. Let's have a listen to Georgia.
4: Thanks to your advice, I went out there and uh, I bought a Tesla. To be completely honest, my husband actually went through the process of buying the Tesla. But definitely the conversation I had with you led us to talk about things like that we shouldn't get one that was brought into the UAE on the grey market. It told us that I wouldn't have to worry about charging it every day at home because it has a great range and it got us thinking about whether or not it was worth buying one of the bigger Teslas so that we'd still have six seats. Uh, and we also talked about buying secondhand, and in the end we went with a secondhand one that we got from the Tesla store but that means we're not going to be losing out and getting a brand new one. Uh, we've got to wait another eight days before it arrives but it's blue and it's the X and I'm very excited. And now all you need to do is sell my Volvo for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, that's nice. Um, yeah, so... Um, I- Smart, smart purchase. Bought it, bought it near new. It's the Model X. It has the ludicrous mode. So, um, amazing. Respect. it yeah. uh, <laughs> got some performance there yeah, under, yeah. The, under the right foot. Twenty-two um, inch Onyx black wheels uh, with the black and white premium interior with the carbon fiber decor, six seat interior, autopilot and enhanced autopilot. So, uh, and uh, as you said, it's in a beautiful dark blue. So it's not a uh, a
6: regular black or white model x so yeah great work Um, yeah these things are really good i mean one good thing about buying from the tesla dealership is if i'm not mistaken they all come with an eight year warranty on the battery and the motor yeah and those are pretty much the only two things on the car right so there's nothing else to worry about because you've got unlimited warranty for eight years yeah um you know we've got a tesla at home and it went in for a service and they're like we're going to charge you a reasonable amount for a major service and i was like okay what does that mean because there's nothing to service I got the invoice like a week later when I picked up the car and it said windscreen wipers rotate battery clean brake pads <laughs> i was like what is that like they had to find something to do right yeah, there's yeah. literally nothing to do i mean these things are incredible yeah so uh great and, and a substantial saving on the new car price
1: because they're they're random i mean the model x now ranges from about 385 to about four sixty thousand 000 dirhams i don't know on, on, check, on
6: check, check check elon's tweets right he's changing yeah, the prices well, exactly. every day. So much, i think there's been had a quick five official changes this year right so he has been dropping the prices yeah i had a quick look this morning
1: that's um from the because obviously Tesla don't post the prices, but I had a bit of a fish around with some contacts, and that was kind of, that's why there's such a variance. But obviously, Georgia saved a lot by getting near new. Um, now we've got to do is, um uh, Georgia, you haven't sent me any details, but from memory, she has a Volvo V70, low kilometres, and of course, driven by one cautious owner, usually mainly for school runs. So uh, we'll, we'll
6: try and get a value on, on a V70. All we need, if you're listening, is the the year of the car at least. Like, the, uh, did she tell us what year it is? No. Uh <laughs> No, no,
1: not yet, not yet, but um, we'll we'll try and get her on the phone perhaps during the course of the show if she's not uh, running kids around or doing Saturday Saturday morning stuff. Um, But in the meantime, we've got um, a Maserati Ghibli, got a text in, Maserati Ghibli, 3 litre, 2017 model, it's a basic model, white, it's only done 51,500 kilometres, full service history, exceptionally clean. Um, and asking for a price no name on that one but if you've got a ghibli with a white model car that's the one we're talking about
6: this is going to surprise many people because you know you see maseratis drive past and you see the uh the the trident badge at the front and yeah. the exclusivity in the sound and you know you see you just think that like maserati equals success and this is something incredible and amazing but you'd be surprised to know that 2017 ghibli three liter basic model you can pick up for less than the price of a new 3-series. Like we're talking about 110, 115, 120,000 dirhams. Of course, it does have its quirks and features, which I'm not too keen on, but they're incredible cars and it's a lot of value for money at that. It is, it is. I mean, that's that's the V6.
1: You've also got the twin-turbo V6 on top of that, which is at a premium. Um, But it does get you into an Italian car, if you like. One of the things with with that Ghibli and, and that era is that, if you've driven other cars, you can see a crossover with some of the Chrysler product in the interior, the infotainment system, and that sort of thing. That's the, 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 thing the, the I'm dash and, keen on. But
6: in its defence, the sound, the engine sounds oh, incredible. Yeah. The engine and the drivetrain, really good job. But like you said, they patched it together with the the, the parts bin of whatever they've been using, which is a real shame, really. Yeah. Uh, but overall, like value for money wise. You're talking about a baby Ferrari for 120,000 dirhams, right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and it's uh, you know it's it's. Uh, I think that engine was actually assembled in Maranello, yeah, as well. So uh, yeah, there you go. Um, Amar has texted in. He's considering a 2018 Porsche Cayenne standard model, mm, 75,000 kilometers.
6: Uh, not a whole lot of information there, but uh, an idea on the uh, the price of that one. So, what I would recommend, Amar, is try and go for the highest option possible. So. You know, you've got the, the entry-level 3D V6s, um, but if you just shop around and pay a little bit more, you want things like, you know, at least a K and s where you get yeah. larger wheels, you get the panoramic roof, you get the 18-way seats and things like that. Reason being is you may pay 10 grand more, 15 grand more now, but it'll definitely hold its value. And, of course, you can use all these extra options as you keep ownership of the car. Um, so, to put that into perspective, 2018 K&S, well specced. Make sure you find something which is GCC standards, I always recommend, uh, with a good level of service history. I'd say you expect to pay around $200,000 for that car. Okay, that's fair enough. That's a lot yeah. of car, though. I yeah. mean, you're looking at 2018's a sweet spot, really. It's hit yeah. 50 60%, 50% depreciation. Um, so really, you're buying it right at the bottom, so it's beautiful. Yeah. Another text from Sebastian. Uh, he
1: says, I have a Range Rover Evoque 2019 model, mid-options. It's white with only 27,000, I guess that's kilometres, you put miles, but I'd say that would be kilometres. Um, it's had one accident to its record. How much would this worth? Agency repairs, and uh, it's still under
6: warranty. Okay. Uh, thanks for the message, Sebastian. I'd say, look, it always depends on the accident. I mean, one thing I will, yeah. I will tell you guys. Um, did you know that you can go online and type in the chassis number of a car and get all the accident history and also images of accident damage as well? Really? Yeah, it's oh, okay. really really good. Uh, these there's two three government websites we can talk about. Then there's you know EVG Ministry of Interior. And this is really good for, for honest people like Sebastian who just want to say, yeah. like, this is the history and things like that. And this is a in UAE? In emission? UAE.
1: Oh, fantastic.
6: And okay. it's free as well. We'll have to check that out. It's yeah. free and like nobody knows about it, nobody talks about it, but it's like really, really recommended. And um, you, know, you just go on there, have a look at the accident history because some people don't tell you about the accidents, right? But of usually course. someone like Sebastian, if they do tell you there's an accident and it's not such a big of an accident – um, then 10 15% depreciation on what it should have been worth having said that this case 2019 evoke we're looking around 125000 130,000 somewhere there had it not been an accident maybe 140
1: 150 okay well there you go sebastian i hope that uh, that helps um do you know what the, the, the address that just off the top of your head for that one? because yeah, it's, that's actually uh, really it's, interesting information. It's,
6: uh, Emirates Vehicle Gate, so it's EVG. So if mm-hmm. you type in EVG, and I'm, I will tell the team to put it on our and stuff like that. And there's also Ministry of Interior, MOI. So if you just type in MOI accident checker, okay. put the VIN number in, it actually shows you pictures of the accidents. Really? The date, the time, uh, the area of the collision, left, right, things like that. Like, really, really good. Well, there you go, folks. This I'll is let you why- in on the secret after the
1: next break. <laughs> this is why we've got Naz Chowdhury in the studio. It comes up with all sorts of little tips and secrets, and that is one that I didn't know about. Um, yeah, we're already getting texts in saying, what is the website? Don't worry, folks. We're going to post that up on our social media uh, at the end of this show. And, of course, we do have the podcast that will be available straight after this. Uh, we've got a lot more coming up with Motor Mania with uh, also Fix It or Flip It. Stick around. This is Motor Mania. Fix It or Flip It. Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. And uh, we need the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARM Play app. Myself, and Naz Chowdhury, live in the studio, ready to take your calls. Um, but it's not just uh, cars where, uh, information, it's all about just general car stuff as well. So, um, and with that, we're going straight to the lines because we've got uh, Ricky on the line. Good morning, Ricky.
0: Hey, Damien. Hi, Naz. Happy morning. Summers.
1: Thank hey. you. <laughs> thank you. Welcome. Thanks, yeah, thank-
0: Summer is approaching. It really
1: is, yeah. It's (laughs) getting close, isn't it? So with that, you're talking about car tints. Uh, You want some advice on some car tinting. Is that right?
0: Yes, please. And I've been waiting for Saturday to arrive so I can speak to you guys and get some um, help.
6: Well, I'm feeling the pressure now. I have to get this one right.
0: (laughs) It took took almost six days for me to wait, you know.
6: So Uh, (laughs) um,
0: I'll make it easy for you. So I drive a Tesla and uh, Model Y. And, you know, it has got that sunroof, the entire sunroof. Um, And there's so many products out there, you know, for uh, tint, claiming it's 3M or nanotechnology and all that jazz. So can you kindly help in recommending what's the best tinting and uh, pricing, please?
6: Sure. Uh, Thank you for calling in. May I ask, what color is your car?
0: Oh, it's a white um, Tesla.
6: Okay, that definitely helps because I've got a black Tesla Model X where... The roof, uh, well, the front windscreen wraps up all the way around to literally yes. above your head, and you know, right. getting the window tints wrong on that car could get very, very <laughs> hot in summer. Very hot. So, uh, obviously, you want to protect your car both inside and outside. Do you park it inside or outside, like overnight? It's
0: parked inside. Yeah.
6: So then you're okay. Look, my suggestion would be. Always go for the best quality tint you can get. A, a branded 3M tint with the nanotechnology mm. is definitely the way forward on on such a premium car. You know, if it was a low end car, maybe I wouldn't recommend it. But the three thousand dirhams they charge for this, it really does make a difference in terms of, you know, heat repulsion and things like that. What I would recommend is just do a bit of homework on getting the tint percentage right, because you know, one of the beautiful things about Tesla is when you when you're driving a Tesla Model Y and everything's open from the top. You don't want to go too dark on there, maybe 30% maximum. Same with the two front windows, so it doesn't affect your driving, your visibility, especially at night. However, the back windows and the back windscreen, you could go for much darker. I think 50, even 70%. In fact, the law is you shouldn't go more than 30% on the side windows. And officially, although some people do this, um, you're not allowed to do the windscreen either. I mean, some people mm. go for 3Ms, 5%, which is hardly noticeable and kind of get away with the RTA, but really it's not allowed. To. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it sounds good, but you know, there's so many like CR series and IR series and so many series, and they give you all these different um, products with different price range. So it's so difficult, you know, to understand what to go for. Is there a, like an average? Uh,
6: so I forgot uh, the name product? because I, I came across the the 3M guys around nine months ago. But like, and I did it on my own car, and from what I remember, I went for the middle range. Uh, because the, the most expensive one, I just didn't see the value of the premium, mm. and I think that's reserved for the guys with the Rolls Royces and the Ferraris who say, "Give me the best." You know, they, they always have to have that premium one. And on, on the other side, no point going for the entry level one. So it was somewhere in the middle. I just forgot the the, the name of that specific range. Yeah, but the the three M product too is. It's got the nanotechnology in it, pretty much
1: regardless of what spec you go for. And um, another brand out there, which which we uh, we used to use, is uh, VQL Uses the same technology as well. Um, and I've, I used 3M on my own cars years ago when I parked the car in the sun. Uh, I used a twenty five percent tint on the side and rear windows, and I used a zero percent tint on the windscreen, so it was completely clear. Which now, is legal. Which which is legal. Yeah. But what it oh. did is it saves the dash and my car would sit outside in the sun in the middle of summer for i think it was 6 years never had a crack in the dash never had any interior fading um, it drops the temperature of the car down a lot so definitely you're on you're on the you're on the on the right path there uh Ricky with uh with 3m have a look at vehicle as well because vehicle the guys actually did the um the technology they developed was the stuff they used on the uh, the early space shuttles for the windscreen for, for, for re-entry. So, you know, that's the sort of thing that, that um, does make a huge difference. But, uh, yeah, you get that. You'll notice instantly uh, a drop in temperature, but also it'll save your interior as well.
6: Yeah, I think I remember the name now from 3M. Is it Cer- Ceramic IR or I? R- 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 I? Did, yeah, is, that, is that ceramic, range? That's That's yeah. the one I got for my car and uh, on. on my Tesla, and it was perfect. So I put 30% on the roof. Um and then thirty percent on the front windows, fifty, seventy I think it's fifty or seventy percent on the back windows, and it's absolutely perfect. And the good thing with three M and, and V Cool and other big brands is if I'm not mistaken, it's a five year warranty. Yeah. So if it starts bubbling or peeling away after three, four years of the duration of the car, you just take it back to the same place and they put a new piece of film on, which is incredible. Thank you. There you go, Ricky, thank you, Ricky. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> I hope that helps you just awesome. in time thank for you
0: summer. So much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you
1: so much. All the best. All the best with that one. Uh, text message, as I say, still coming through. Mike has texted in, says, hi, guys. Um, need help with valuation, please. Have a 2019 Jaguar XF, 75,000 kilometres. It's a 2.5-litre R Sport, full-service history from Altair Motors. Very good condition inside and out. No accidents. Looking for trade-in value, private value, or should I hold
6: it? Well, it all depends if you're leaving the country, then you have no yeah. choice, right? <laughs> uh, but, like, in terms of value wise, I think this car has definitely taken the brunt of its depreciation. Yeah, yeah, it would uh, buy now. We're mm. four years in, so you know, if you've held it from new, you, you've probably taken the biggest beating now, and then from here on in. You're looking at maybe ten thousand dirhams a year depreciation, which is uh, it's ch- cheaper than renting an entry-level car, right? Another thing is, it is becoming a bit a special car, really, isn't it? I mean, there's yeah. the XFs, and everyone, you know, you see them all around. And if you open, you know, Dubizel or something like that, you'll see many XFs available. But to have the 2.0 Sport, yeah, uh, 2.5 R Sport is is a fairly rare car. Um, you know, if you like it, if you enjoy it, then by all means, you can continue driving it because it's not going to depreciate much anymore. Just bear in mind the running costs of a Jag. Um, we don't have the kilometers, but, you know, coming on to four years old now, um, expect another 10,000 dirhams a year in terms of maintenance. You know, unfortunately, these things are not the cheapest because they're not mass produced and the parts are not widely available here. Mm. Um, so just take into consideration, you know, 10,000 dirhams a year in terms of maintenance, 10,000 dirhams a year in terms of depreciation. You know, today's value, there isn't really much to go by. You know, a three-liter entry-level uh, jug is around maybe 110 115 being the 2.5 our sport we can go up to 140 145 but it's about finding the right buyer because there's not many people that appreciate these cars apart from me, you, Damien, yeah. and a handful of Jag lovers <laughs> out there, right? So, and, and
1: not a huge <laughs> amount came in. They weren't like they weren't sold in massive numbers either. So yeah, it's very, very compared to even their competitors like Audi and BMW, etc. Yeah,
6: I mean there is a there's a small niche market for the V8 Jags. You yeah, know, they've got the F Type V8 and, if I'm not mistaken, the XF V8 as well. Mm, yep, they're really becoming sought after now. So you know, if if you want something a bit different, if you like the Jag but maybe you want to change. You know, sell this, get yourself a V8, and that will definitely hold value as we're going into and this electrification age. Good for budget
1: price luxury motoring right now because, as you said, they're not going to get much lower. They, they, I think they're at the bottom of the bell curve right
6: now. Anything V8 from, like, the last 10, 15 years or the last 10 years, really. So, you've got, you know, anything from the Audi RS range, anything from the BMW, you know, the M range um, – Anything V8 Jaguar or things like that, these things are not really going to lose value anymore. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, Mike. I hope that uh, gives you some some advice on the, the
1: Jaguar XF. Uh, another text message has come in from Farzad. Uh, Fazad says, Hi, I have a 2010 Toyota FJ Cruiser, 280,000 kilometres, full service history in the agency. It's uh, it's a matte black in very good condition. How much can I sell it? Farzad, pick your number. <laughs> it was full service history, uh, FJ Cruiser, NASA. That's the not Kilometres, not really the,
6: the, big, the big issue with these cars. Nobody cares. Like, yeah. honestly, they'd be more worried about how many panels painted if you go down to yeah. the traders and say, what's <laughs> it worth? They're more worried about how much original paint is on there than the actual kilometers themselves. I mean, what's incredible is this is to maintain that kind of service history on a 208,000-kilometer yeah. car. And the reason being is these Toyotas and Alpha Tame with these Toyotas, they're so cost-effective. I've noticed things yeah. like 300, 400 pounds for a service. I mean, an oil filter for a Porsche costs more than that, right? So, like, it's really, really good value. And that's why people can maintain that service history. You know, having said that, as we know, the FJ Cruise is now discontinued. Mm. Um, you know, clean ones are getting hard to come by. A lot have been exported, a lot have been thrashed in the desert. But the right ones still command a premium. You know, for a car that's been to the moon and back, don't know how many times, it's still worth 45,000 dirhams, yeah. 50,000 dirhams. And yeah. it'll probably stay there for another year or two as well. That's incredible. Uh, and that's the thing, because we were.
1: We were not one of. We were the last market to get the FJ Cruiser. They stopped production a couple of years ago um, with in other markets, and but they, they kept, kept it, they kept it going for our region for I'm the sure Middle they've East. Done very well, and if they continue, they'll probably keep selling them as well, right? But, but that <laughs> explains you, you're, you're talking about why what the, the the later models are being re-exported now because there's still demand for that car in other yeah, markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, as you say 280,000 kilometres. It's not um, really an, an issue at all. Fix it or flip it know the drill by now. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. As much details as you can possibly send us to make the model of the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to Vaud001 or via the ARN play app, Naz Chowdhury and myself in the studio. We'll do your best to answer those calls. And uh, speaking of which, we're going to go straight to the lines. Uh, Dom's on the line. Dom, thanks for hanging on for, uh, for that break. Uh, you're looking for some advice, about it, I believe.
7: Yes, I am. Yes, I'm looking for some advice regarding uh, washing a car that's been PPF'd all over, what kind of product would you recommend? And uh, windscreen cleaning? Because there's so much out there, I'm very confused.
1: That's a really good point, uh, uh, Dom, about cleaning cars with PPF. And, 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 there's other issues as well with with matte paints, but we'll get on that another point. But uh, Naz, what, what's your what's your thoughts on that one?
6: Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's always a worrying thing, right? You invest 10, 15 plus thousand dirhams to PPF a car, and then you're worried about all these abrasive detergents that are. So, just, gonna... so j-
1: just for those who don't know, PPF is, is Sorry, it, yeah. it's a, it's a clear plastic film that's like a wrap that that goes over the car to protect it from stone chips, and it's uh, in my opinion, it's it's a it's a great piece of insurance if you've just had your car resprayed or it's a brand new car. You put this clear plastic film on it, and it saves you from uh, from getting stone chips and bugs. But then, yes, of course, it's a it's a new surface over the car, so quite a valid point about how to keep it clean and, and washing the car now.
6: Yeah, I mean, look, the good news is a lot of these PPF companies, uh, paint protection foil, if I'm not mistaken. Um, do give you a three, four, five year warranty, right? So, you know, even if things do go wrong, the corners start bubbling and things, generally you can just go back and get it replaced. So if you are getting PPF, make sure you get, you know, the a good quality one. Having said that, going back to your question, Dom, um, what you do is just get the old-fashioned way, nice warm bucket, a pH neutral shampoo, and one of the most important things that people don't think about when they're washing the cars is how to dry them. And the answer there is... A nice microfiber cloth, you know, lint-free. You, you know, you don't want to pick up any dust along the way. And you don't want to cause any scratches as well on the PPF. And, good. and regarding the windscreen, um, you know, I, I don't think your windscreen would be PPF from the outside, you know, but any any pH-neutral detergent on the PPF. And regarding the windscreen, you know, you've got two options. You've got just the standard stuff you buy from the, the automotive stores, you know, the 3M spray, and then, you know, there's the old car trick from back in the day from like really back in the day where you just get like distilled water a little bit of white vinegar newspaper Mm. and literally the windscreen comes out like new i don't know how many people know about that yeah (laughs) yeah that's our generation (laughs) that's our generation (laughs) that does work very well i can tell you (laughs) it needs to be good old newspaper you know and like i said the most important thing dom is um Washing is one thing, but drying and is really more important, right? You know, you've got the guys in the car wash, the guys in the malls and stuff. You know, I always inspect their cloth and say, right, do you have a nice microfiber, yeah. lint-free cloth to wipe down the car? Because anyone can throw a nice warm water and detergent on it, but it's how you take it off and dry it that's important.
1: Yeah, clean cloth. And also, too, the thing as we get into summer you've got to clean it immediately. Otherwise, the, the water droplets do bake on the car and you get those little ringlets yeah. on the car. So you've got to make sure you do that immediately.
7: That sounds great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the, uh, the advice.
1: Absolute pleasure. Brilliant, Dom. I uh, hope that goes well for you. Uh, going now straight to uh, to Riaz, who's on the line. And um, Riaz, you, you've, you've got an interesting question here about uh, looking for a Porsche 911. Good morning.
8: Yeah, good morning, Damien. Good morning, Dan. How are you?
6: Morning. I'm smiling. I heard the word push. I woke up. <laughs>
8: <laughs> I I've been looking for a long time and I kept on putting off for a long time because every time I'm thinking, Oh, maybe a better model will come, a better model will come and then this time around I said, You know what, let me just call you guys and find out, like is it is it like it's something that I wanna keep for a long time to be honest with you. And I wanna probably pass on to my to my children if if I can, you know.
6: Amazing. I was wondering, like, like, was
8: wondering, like w- which one should I buy? Which model should I buy? Which color should I buy?
6: So, honestly, you've come to the right place. I don't <laughs> know. Uh, <laughs> Damien, how much time do we have? Okay, uh, let's get to the point on this. Riyad, can- <laughs> <laughs> thank you for the call. May I ask, what's the budget on this car, for this car?
8: I don't have a budget, to be honest. It's, something I, it's a want, it's a wish list, right? So, I, I'm going to work hard to get this thing
6: So, for me, like, okay, do you want modern or
8: yeah i I was i was looking something because like you know i mean retro would be nice or something yeah but antique or like i mean but i i I think i just want something new and you know so then i can because the technology has changed so much, yeah. you know, so it's, it's 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 incredible the the the, the diversity and the and uh, in the ra- in the in the specs, you know. And and you always get confused because every time you walk walks into a Porsche showroom, and then it's all about building.
6: Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, of course, box, yeah. You know?
8: it's, and there's no standard, uh, you know, fe- features. Like, of course, okay, It's just a baseline. And, you know, mm-hmm. and would you
6: consider a manual, or does it have to be the PDK? Uh,
8: I would love the PDK to be honest with you.
6: Okay. In my opinion, like unlimited budget is great, but like real three, four, five hundred thousand, 500,000, somewhere there, right? I'd go for 991.2. Okay. Porsche so yeah. we're not talking about the latest Porsche where there's you know all, all the other switches and things like all the, the haptic right. world is coming in and uh, so the nine. just to talk people through this you've got the 991 range so that started in 2014 to 2017 and then 2018 to 2019 20 you had the 991.2 which is the facelift 991 um, and okay. because this is something you are going to hold on for a very long time you're gonna cherish you're gonna pass on to your child I'd go for one of the more distinguished models. Stay away from the 911. Stay away from 911S. Mm. Find yourself at least a GTS, if not a Turbo. And if you're really okay. feeling generous, get a tur- get yourself a Turbo S. This is something that will not depreciate. Uh, you'll have years and years and years and years of happy motoring. And it's always going to be an investment. And it's always going to put a smile on your face. I don't know what you think about that, uh, yeah, Damien. For, for sure. I mean, that that's that's money in the bank.
1: That really GTS, is GTS Turbo you, you look or back Turbo at, S. Yeah, you look back at the nine nine threes now. That's that's it's it's like it's better than having gold in the in Fort Knox, isn't it's it? It really is. Dorms. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. So, agree a hundred percent with that uh, with Nas. Um, but also, Ria, yeah. if if, if Sorry, you not. if you are in a budget and you are looking long long term for your children, I'd even be looking at. The 996, the first water cooled cars, because right now they're. 0.2, it
6: has to be the 0.2. Yeah, they're. they're,
1: Yeah, that's pretty much the cheapest way you can get into a 911 now, but every 911
6: will pick up in value.
8: When you say the point 0.2, what do you mean by the 0.2?
6: So, the 996 was the first water cooled Porsche that came out in 1999 towards the end right. of the 993 air cooled range. So, that was 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. And then in 2003, they revised the headlights. You know, there was yes. a big backlash. They called them the the, right. the, the egg headlights because yes. they had the fried egg headlights. The fried egg headlights, right? So, 2003, 2004, they fixed that. They also introduced I forgot his name from Porsche, who came in the whole GT3 range. If you guys haven't seen that, you need to watch it. The guy who started GT3s and went through the whole GT... Like, he's been with Porsche for about 20-odd years, mm. building on the GT3. So he was involved in the 996.2 GT3. And that was really where it all started. Like yeah, and that, that's incredible. A, the 996.2 GT3 is a good car. It's a the, really good yeah, car. Yeah, exactly. That, that's where, really, you can talk about the pedigree the last started. of what they call the Metzger engines in that
1: as well, because yeah. that, that was the the... the, the Motorsport engine, yeah, in that one. But those cars, the they're they're at the they're climbing in value. They're at the bottom, and, and and that's the probably the the easiest way to get into 911 ownership. In time, like I said, all 911s are an investment. So in yeah. time, if you're looking to pass this on to your children, Riaz, you know that that
6: that car will also be worth a lot. But but yeah, I mean,
1: look, you can't go wrong really if you're looking for an investment.
6: I mean, I'm going to throw one more curveball, Riaz. Have a look at the oh. 997 range. Does that mean anything to you? Nine, nine,
8: seven. Uh, yeah, I've looked at that as well that. So 2000. 2000- I was going to their website,
6: you know. Yeah, so 2006 to 2012. But again, you always want the second variant. So the 997.2. So that's from 2010 with the PDK. Well, 2009 PDK started. 2010 PDK started on the turbos. But 2011, 10, 11, 12. If you get your hands on your on a 997.2. Um, these are incredible cars they're really the last of the analog cars yeah you know you feel the road they're a lot better they're a lot lighter they're a lot smaller than the 991 like a lot more driving pleasure you know the 991 in my opinion although it's a great car it's a bit more mass-produced but the 997 is the last of a real dying breed and I think that's gonna prove to outshine everything else as a future classic
8: and you can find them here in Dubai
6: uh, a few, yeah, they're, they're climbing, I mean, you know, a nice 997.2, you know, PDK, whether it be an S or four I remember two years ago, maybe a 100, 130,000 dirhams, now climbing up to 200,000 dirhams, you know, if you find a turbo or a turbo S variant, like, that's where you want to be on a 997.2, uh, they're reaching 300,000 dirhams, but again, it's money in the bank, regardless of kilometers. Yeah. Thank you, go, Riaz, I hope that's... Uh
1: giving you lots of numbers yeah. to play with <laughs> <laughs> I, gotta,
8: I, gotta, I wish i had written down everything
1: <laughs> so, don't worry download the podcast after after this one
6: okay, and you'll, you'll be able to hear it yeah, yeah, hear it all perfect. back again live
8: any, any advice on the color
6: uh, so for me it's a preference thing i mean my preference would always be like black white you know the simple oh. stuff but again if, if you're going for something a bit like a gt3 you can go a bit wilder like yeah. you know there's a lot of paint to sample you know the reds the yellows and things like that but try and keep it neutral oh. yep
8: okay perfect thank you guys
6: all the best rios so
1: thanks very much okay,
8: take care guys and have a good one thank, thank you, you too. thank too. Thanks,
1: thanks so much uh now we're going straight to uh to tinder on the line good morning tinder
9: good morning thank you for uh taking my call
1: pleasure pleasure we're uh, we're in ev mode today as well so you're looking to uh to decide what sort of ev but something that's not a tesla this time so what, what are you what are you thinking
9: so I'm in the market to buy a new car uh, and I was looking at EV out of, you know, environmental consciousness, but um Tesla is pretty much out of the budget range. Um and I heard uh, on the radio I think this uh, this week about other EV models and there's so many of them coming. And the technology constantly gets updated on them and they keep improving year on year. So I'm wondering whether this is the right time to buy an EV because it was, you know, compared to uh, buying a phone in a way where, you know, it kind of the technology is so fast improving that it gets outdated very fast. So that kind of put me off a little bit on looking at any other models of EV. Um, So I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Yeah,
1: I mean, you've you've absolutely hit the nail on the head there. The technology is improving so quickly that it is hard for for some of the manufacturers to be keeping up with the way things are going Mm -hmm. right now. And uh, we're going to have, uh, stick around for the second hour, uh, Tinder, because we're going to have uh, Kevin Shalhoub from the EV Lab in here to talk pretty much about that as well uh, and, and options that are out there. But yes, I mean, we've just had the Shanghai Motor Show last week. There's Lots of Chinese cars that are coming through to the market, and they're coming through to this market as well. And they're primarily EVs. Uh, BYD has just just been launched here as well through Alpha Tame. They're they're EV uh, vehicles that that are closer to your budget. Down at the bottom end of the budget, you've got people like MG, and you've got Hyundai that have cars. Now with that down there, you've also have shorter range, but you're still getting a couple of days out of it. So it's not really the issue. But as you say, the technology is improving so much with the battery technology that we're now getting, with, with the premium cars, we're getting 600 and 700 kilometres range out of it, which kind of ends the range anxiety debate. But uh, I don't know, Nazu. I mean, other, other than Teslas, what what what's sort, of, uh, what sort of ticking your boxes for, for EVs?
6: Well, like I said, there's a lo- lot of stuff coming out of China. I'm just yet to see it or drive it, so it's, it's yeah. hard to gauge. Uh, but uh, Tunde, with these things... You know, there's always a saying where you know you get what you pay for. So just um, and also because technology is moving so fast, the last thing you want to do is buy something outdated or something mm. old. May I ask if it's not, if it's okay, what what kind of budget are you looking at?
9: So I ideally didn't want to spend much more than one hundred and fifty, hundred and sixty thousand on a new car. Okay. So that's why I was trying to decide between do I buy a normal, you know. Um, um, car with a with a with a um engine and or do i do i go for an ev but for an ev at that range you don't get much for your money
6: well you'd be surprised i'll tell you one thing first of all when it comes to like ev competitiveness like it's an extremely competitive space and you'll see a lot of the manufacturers you know fighting for this market share over the next five ten years but also you get what you pay for. So, for example, with the Tesla, you know, it, it sounds like you're paying a premium, but they've got the you know, the LFP batteries, which do have a longer range than a lot of the Chinese variants because they use cobalt and other, uh, other precious metals. And they do have a much larger range. So an average Tesla will have a higher range than a BYD, for example. Now, having said that, in my opinion, what I would do is look at not only the car, but the infrastructure around the car, right? So, you know, one of the things that the early EV owners, including myself, Notice that here is, you know, charging capabilities. Where can I charge? How can I charge? Do You know, can I install the charger in my building? Do I have a charging in my office? And these are the kind of things you should be looking at. Now, in my opinion, you can buy a Tesla Model 3 within that price range, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Near new. Yeah, yeah. yeah, near yeah. new. Tesla have dropped their prices a couple of times this year. And, you know, if you have a quick look on Dubizel now, I'm pretty sure you can get, you know, a Tesla Model 3 you know under warranty which is eight year warranty on the service on the battery and the the motor uh within your price range and yep. honestly for me that's the best value of money today you know they've been around the longest uh they've been proven in this hot weather for the past 5 6 years and I haven't heard any major issues about Teslas running you know in this in this harsh region and everything else is new and untested right yeah. so cuz that, I'd rather stick to something that I know that's got a good infrastructure built around it um, so for me, I would definitely go for a 2021, 2022 Tesla Model Three. Yep. Yeah. How how does
1: that so work? So you
9: mean to 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 buy it secondhand? You mean yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Look at look at Nino. You still get massive warranty, massive uh, service contracts, and that sort of thing with it. So you do have the the, the assurance to back that up. Um, but someone else has taken the depreciation hit for you, and you can save a lot of money.
9: Yeah, I hear you. Okay, well thank you so much for the for the feedback. It's something to think about. No
6: problem. Sure. Just drive down to Tesla dealership and ask him for a used Tesla Model 3. Take her on the block and see what you think. You'll be pleasantly surprised. You'll be able to buy one within your price range.
9: Okay, perfect. Thank you.
6: No problems. All the best. All right, Tinder. Thanks very much. <laughs>
1: Fix it. Or flip it. With Naz Chowdhury. And we're going to go straight to the lines now with Emad uh, Good morning, Emad You've got an interesting question. You currently have a Porsche Panamera, but you're looking for some options. Tell me about it.
10: Yeah, good morning. Yeah, I do drive a hybrid, Panamera SE hybrid, and I'm looking to move away from, uh, from the Germans into buying a Chinese Zika 001. Wow. And
6: that's
1: okay. actually by, by Jenny. Okay, oh, yeah. so this is, this is the Geely SUV, the Zika zero zero one. Yeah. Can I ask, have you have you seen one here, or where, where have you been uh, been looking?
10: I've seen some online, and then there were we a few grey imports from China available on uh, DuVision. That's not no longer the case right now, but I'm assuming they will soon be coming to the country officially. I guess.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because uh, the reason I asked is I. I I'm not aware of, of of them coming through Geely themselves, but they. It's a good looking car, I have to say. Um, it, it does look a little bit like the Panamera, uh,
6: in yeah. in some yeah. respects. Yeah, the back, is yeah, like I'm the new Audi much. e-tron range. So it's a yeah. bit of a mix between e-tron. <laughs> and the, but that's what the Chinese do. So the back is a bit of an e-tron, the front is a bit of a you know Tesla Model Y X yeah kind of panamera range like it's it's really interesting to go from a porsche to a car that wants to look like a porsche right <laughs> that's <a> very <laughs> interesting well, uh, i
10: mean the reason being you know they're, they're, i think one of the best sellers in china and i think there's value for money in those cars i think they were built uh, the the feedback I've, and the reviewers i've seen spoke highly of them so you know i think it's
6: yeah it i mean some sense for me. Yeah, look, uh, Imad. From my point of view, it's we were just talking about this off air. Actually, it's incredible mm. that you know China have such you know an automotive, thriving automotive industry, and I think they will be the forefront of you know EV in the future over mm. the next five years. I think one in five, maybe one in four cars on the road that you'll see hybrid or electric yeah. would be from the Chinese brands. And it's only recently they've started opening their doors to an aggressive export market. Right, so you know you're starting yeah, to yeah. see. You know, a couple of you know Skywall, War, Jetour, yeah, uh, BYD's just done a deal with Alpha Tame. so these cars are starting to come in. But one thing I would say is just be careful of grey imports. Uh, reason being yeah. is for the time being you know you're definitely on the right track and i think it's a great car and it's worth the you know upgrading to that or changing to that but you just want to make sure you have the correct infrastructure around you so uh, another example i give you is we all know about what happened with the id4s and the id6s you know they, they came out in china first many people imported them on the gray import market um, and yeah. apparently they hadn't passed any any uh crash tests and safety regulations here by the rta so what happened recently is they put a ban on them, so if you own an ID four, ID six, you cannot renew the registration. If you're in possession of it as a dealership, you can only export it. So, you know, is that going to happen with uh, with Geely and the Zika? I'm not sure, but you know, if there is an OEM, if there's an OEM franchise owner here, you're much better off buying from think, them.
10: Yeah, I understand that. I think Geely has set up shop here. They're not selling the brand, but Geely is the one behind the Pole Stars, the new. Um the new, what is it? Uh, the British brand they bought. MG. They're quite big and uh, not MG. No, no. I think they do own the MG as, uh, as well, but yeah. the other
1: one, the, the sport uh, one. Geely have have Lotus, but but that's Yeah, So Geely has Lotus and Volvo and Pol- and, and yeah. Polestar, but that's Polestar, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the head office in terms of Geely selling a, a model on their own here. I don't think they have a, a showroom as such. So so what Naz is trying to say is that.
10: Uh, I, I think I think they have one on Cheshire. It's uh, they are just selling the. Let's say the, the cheap ones here. Okay. They do have shop here. Yeah. Okay. And one of the re- the reasons why is you know I have owned the uh, the hybrid for now six years. I have had some nasty issues with the battery packs. Yeah. And you know they are difficult to. I mean you have to do them through Porsche obviously, but then Porsche when they import the battery packs they can't import them through. Uh, from I mean they have to ship them here through boats and. Yeah. That takes ages. Yeah. So the car was like a break for a few months. Oh, well, my God. Yeah. With that,
1: yeah. my, my, my advice would Let's be, um, with have a, have a look at this car. If you like it, fantastic. But go and have a word to the uh, to, to the dealership that you've mentioned there um, and, and just ask them, say, look, if I sold this car, could you buy it back off me or could you buy it off me because you're not buying it from them? Just to make sure, because Naz has brought up a very valid point, that, uh, you know, this this VW ID issue has suddenly changed the the ballgame a little bit for grey imports, where they can actually block you from selling your car. The only option is yeah. you have to export it in order to to get rid of the car. So you don't want to be left in that situation as a private owner. Um, so just for a bit, little bit of reassurance, have a have a chat to the Geely guys and say, look, I'm thinking of buying this. Would this be something that you could purchase? Would legally be allowed to purchase off me in time? If that's the case, then go and have a look at it.
10: I do. Thank you very much for the advice. Appreciate that.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thank no you. No problems, Mad And uh, I hope that helps. Great. Now we're going straight to uh, Andy. Good morning, Andy. You're our last mo- caller this morning. So thanks for uh, for, for getting in touch. Um, now you've got uh, a Jeep Sahara. Is that right?
7: Hey, Debian, Hey, Naz. Hey. Yes, uh, I am driving my actual, actually driving at the moment, my beautiful 2013 Jeep Sahara that I've had for. Oof, uh, well, since 2013, and it's now reaching only 92,000 kilometers. It's nice. a long story, but <laughs> effectively, what's happened is um you know the conversation worldwide has turned more and more towards EVs and hybrids. I've been uh, keeping my eye on the four ac Now, it's actually not in the market per se at the moment. I know that it's um, in the pipeline, possibly for I don't know which quarter of 2024. Um, I've heard of a lot of ups and down reviews, and so I'm just wondering if it's worthwhile trading in the 2013 that I have for a 4XE. I wanted to know your thoughts on that.
6: So, uh, you know, being in the car trade, I've actually had the the privilege of owning a 4XE uh, just recently, actually, three months ago. And, uh, you know, it came in from an importer, and he's like, look, I don't know what to do with it. Can you just advertise it? And I was like, okay, so, you know, we took the car off him, and we advertised it my phone did not it it literally blew up it did not stop ringing so there's definitely um for the guys who run jeep here like there's definitely demand for the 4 xe and you are not the only one uh literally we sold the car within six hours i took it on the really incredible car yeah really really nice um you know for the you know eco people out there you still get the benefits of a jeep and a nice big car but you get great mpg with all the eco benefits and things like that as well uh, again as you know it's becoming a common trend here it's all about the infrastructure right so mm. you don't want to be the only Ford XE driver here because then you know if something goes wrong and you're not backed up by the agencies and and warranties yeah. and things like that it could get expensive we just heard from our yeah. last caller even porsche you know even though they did sell the 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 panamera hybrid in in very Mm. limited albeit production run here the hybrid e and the hybrid s um even though that was a you know gcc sanctioned car you heard him saying you know he had problems with the battery and because they don't regularly keep stock of these batteries because they're not mass-produced cars here he had to wait months and months and months for the repairs and Mm. that's By Porsche, who built the car, know the car, and he's still struggling to keep up on the maintenance over the years, right? So, once this thing goes into mass market in 2024, then by all means, I definitely recommend it. And I think whether you like it or not, we're all going to eventually go into go down that way and getting hybrids. Uh, You'll be just an early adopter. (laughs) I think everyone else is going to follow in your tracks, essentially, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's
7: precisely it. I mean, I was just humming and hawing and thinking, okay, do my part. I do love Jeep. I have been a Jeep owner since uh, yeah. two thousand, and uh, I don't see myself changing in terms of brand uh, <laughs> brand loyalty. Decisively, <laughs> when it comes to four X, like, are you going to um, are you going to be able to um, drive it around for as long as you want? Are you going to be able to go off road? Does the battery yeah. last? If you have issues with the battery, how quickly can you replace it? Uh, I, I think Fortunately, that it's, it's not an EV For se, it's a hybrid, so yeah. you should be able to at least get halfway to where you need
1: to go. Well, you know, you've answered your own question there. You, you won't have any problem because it's a hybrid, you'll still have that petrol motor as backup. I've just been driving a hybrid this week, plug in hybrid, love it because I drove on the EV most of the time, plug it in at night. I am, but when it did, uh, the electric battery sort of ran down, I ran it as a petrol motor. But, uh, but the thing is, if you want to sit on on your your current Sahara for a while, wait till Jeep come out because they would be nuts if they didn't bring the the 4xe out here as an officially. I think all sold the OEMs car.
6: need to listen to the show and realise how much pent up demand for this yeah. EV stuff um, is. Right, so
1: uh, we're quickly running out of time, uh, uh, Andy. But but well, thanks, just, just just very quickly, yeah. Look. Go and have a chat to to the guys at Trading Enterprises. See when it's going to come out. Put your name down if you can, yeah. but uh, stick with what you've got and get in straight away. Because I, I think they'll be crazy not to bring it out, and I think they will. There's so much demand. You sold yours very quickly, Naz. So you know it, it will be coming. I'm I'm pretty sure.
6: Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Have a great day. A Perfect. Great. Thank you, Andy. Thanks very much, Andy.
1: And uh, that's about all we've got time for for uh, for fix it or flip it. Naz, thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, this weekend, you've got some plans. Uh, yeah, do some EV homework for the next round of calls.
6: <laughs> it's been a big morning it's of really uh, going electri- electrifying the show, right? Electric vehicles
1: <laughs> and and Porsches and
7: whatever else.